Hello everybody, this is Pablo Galvez, currently working in China, in Shanghai, and I'm here with my longtime friend Ivan Sanchez, uh, now co-host of this uh, podcast, and who is currently in Spain, in Madrid, which is our hometown. Hi, uh, hi Ivan, how is everything going? Hi Pablo, everything okay? It's always a pleasure sharing time with you and also being a co-host of this podcast. I couldn't agree with you more, Ivana. It's been a long time uh, coming. We have been thinking about doing this for, for quite a while and I'm happy that uh, uh, we finally, you know, uh, get to do it. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to do this with you, Ivan. How is everything going in Madrid? Well, here the situation is unfortunately tough, really difficult, many new cases, uh, many deaths every day. But I'm sure that thanks to the vaccines, we will overcome the, the crisis. I'm pretty sure, Ivan. I'm, I'm hoping the same. So uh, as things get better, I have the chance to, to go back home and, uh, you know, see you, get a, yes. get a beer with you, hang out with you in person. That, that would be great. Here, uh, it was, uh, um, you know, we had come back again to normality, you know, lives were pretty much as usual, but as of recent here in Shanghai, there has been a few cases, so we are a bit worried at the moment. Of course, we are not talking about the same numbers, you know, as compared to, you know, back home, but still it's a bit alarming, and, uh, but hopefully things will get better. We are also a bit worried about the Spring Festival and whether people uh, start traveling a lot and whether that could uh, factor in uh, spreading the virus around. But again, uh, Ivan, I'm very happy that we are doing this together and uh, you know one of the things that I want to, to make clear to the audience is that this is a personal project of both of us. We uh, are basically sharing our point of views based on our experience, knowledge, and the things that we have uh, both been through, but it does not represent the institutions that we work for or that we work for in the past. Mm -hmm. So I want to make that very clear to, to everybody. But with that said, uh, let me, Ivan, start by asking you, uh, do you think the European Union has set in motion enough uh, financial measures to tackle the crisis spurred by COVID-19? Well, many thanks for the question, Pablo. Uh, the European Union is uh, facing a really challenging situation because of the crisis originated with the COVID-19 virus. In a context even more difficult if you consider the recently agreed Brexit terms. No doubt that apart from the public health coordination measures executed since the beginning of the crisis, Highlighting, highlighting, for example, the coordination of the distribution of medical equipment or now also of vaccines, the European Commission has made an enormous, a huge effort to alleviate and mitigate the economic consequences of the crisis. Within the economic response of the European Union, we can distinguish three different blocks or areas. The first block is made of the safety net funds already approved. But is, what is the objective of these funds? Imagine the sailors working in a boat that is quickly sinking into the sea. 
So we need to provide them with floats and water rings when abandoning the boat to rescue them. Later we will try uh, refloating the boat, but a quick response is absolutely needed. One of these funds is the European Stability Mechanism (ESM) that sets up the pandemic crisis support to all Euro area member states with 240 uh, billion euros. Mm -hmm. Additionally, the European Investment Bank loans a 200 billion euro program of loans aimed especially at small and medium enterprises, one of the agents who is suffering the most. Another important mechanism within the first block is the SUR, a 100 million euro fund to provide temporary support to mitigate to mitigate unemployment risk mm -hmm. in an emergency to help people keep their job during the crisis. Mm -hmm. In the second block or area, we have the monetary flow policy. In March, uh, the ECB uh, launched a 750 billion euro pandemic emergency purchase program of both private and public sector securities. Mm -hmm. But in addition, in June, the European Central Bank, the ECB, approved an extra boost of 300 billion euros. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, we have a third block of coordination member state national measures. Mm -hmm. Here I will highlight the flexibility of European Union budgetary rules, the direct European Union budget support, and also the national liquidity measures that account for more than 2,000 million euros. As you can see, Pablo, uh, there is a highly complex uh, cocktail of uh, measures, programs, and mechanisms to combat the serious risks posed by the outbreak and escalating diffusion of the coronavirus. In brief, the European Union seems to have approved a huge economic uh, and financial response, no doubt, it is still early to know whether it will be enough or not. Well, thank you, thank you, uh, Ivan, that was a great analysis. Well, let me ask you uh, what it means seems like a, a kind of a very complicated question to answer, but uh, I have to ask you nonetheless, uh, do you see a substantial difference in the current European strategy and that of different member states with the one adopted to tackle the 2008 crisis. So w how do you see mm -hmm. this new crisis? Uh, um, what's the main difference between this crisis and the, and the one that we had in 2008? Mm -hmm. that, this is a very good question. Thanks, Pablo. This crisis, uh, crisis has a, ver uh, a different origin from the financial crisis originated by Lehman Brothers uh, bankruptcy, mm -hmm. while the financial crisis was born in Wall Street, I mean the financial economy, the, fin uh, the financial and banking industries, and then moved to Main Street, I mean the real economy, the coronavirus outbreak is born directly in Main Street. And so far he has remained there with limitations, of course. Mm -hmm. Thus, the strategy has been completely different because in this case are needed direct aids 
to be injected uh, quickly into the real economy, both families and companies, especially small and medium enterprises, from the very beginning of the crisis. During the financial crisis, it was needed a full restructuring of the banking industries, while in this case, it is needed a re redefinition of our way of life, of our lifestyle, as well as it will be needed a restructuring of some services and manufacturing industries. Mm -hmm. In this crisis, uh, we are facing a general liquidity issue due to lockdowns and other restrictions approved by the different member states to fight and face the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, while at the uh, financial crisis we faced from the very start a solvency problem. Mm -hmm. With the coronavirus uh, outbreak, we face an hibernated economy and European Union and national governments have designed economic programs that provide a safety net, a safety net for those agents that are forced to temporarily leave the job market. While in the financial crisis, the aids were focused on rescuing those financial institutions or banks that were not solvent. Mm -mm -mm. Thank you, Ivan. That was uh, very, very clear. Um, following up on that, I would like to ask you, and this is even more, uh, this is uh, this demands a even more complex answer than the you know that the previous question entailed, because as you were saying, these are very different crises. So that makes this even more difficult to answer. Which is, do you think we are facing a much worse crisis than that of 2008 at economic level? And if so. Are we prepared to tackle it successfully? Well, uh, that's a, a small question from your side, Pablo. And at the same time, it's a really tough question for me, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and certainly, following what I said in my previous answers, now the big question will be, will all those mechanisms and programs be enough? Obviously, we don't know about the size of the crisis yet, but regardless of the origin of the crisis, there are some economists who are currently already highlighting uh, the next challenges derived from the crisis. One of them is Carmen Reinhardt, who is already talking about what she calls the silent financial crisis. Mm -hmm. From Reinhardt's perspective, both the significant rise in delinquency rates and the lowering of public debt ratings will seriously impact banks' balance sheets since banks are highly exposed to sovereign rate debt. Mm. In addition, according to Rubini, the pandemic will increase income inequality and there will be long-lasting scars due to the fact that long-term unemployed will we'll have fewer opportunities that mm -hmm. will fuel the populist atmosphere within Europe. And the general reduction in investment will reduce GDP growth mm -hmm. potentials. Mm -hmm. To summarize in brief, mm -hmm. although now families and companies are facing just a liquidity problem in general, 
the more the pandemic lasts with, with re restrictions such as uh, lockdowns, the more likely it will be that it becomes a solvency problem and hence a long-term concern. Mm. Well, well, that's a very... However, not everything is negative about okay. this objective. Happy, happy, happy to hear However, that. Pa Pablo, <laughs> not <ev> <laughs> However, not everything is negative about this outbreak. Some other economists believe that uh, we have the opportunity to rebuild the economy by repairing the structural failures of our systems and institutions, trying to achieve health and social securities uh, system resilience, for example, mm -hmm. as well as making the re industrializations towards more modern, efficient and neutral industries happen. Finally, there are countries more pe prepared to exit the crisis successfully than others within mm. Europe. Uh, here, the key element is the huge stock of public debt mm. that hold by some countries in Southern Europe that accounts for more than 100% of GDP. Mm -mm. Those countries facing an uncontrolled public debt level might eventually lack the flexibility when, I when it comes to approving important measures to dealing with the crisis and maybe it will be needed the restructuring of the sovereign debt of the weakest uh, countries. Back to normal then it will take time and the EU area will not recover until at least 2022 mm -hmm. in terms of previous GDP levels. Mm -hmm. And while some economies such as Germany could recover uh, in 2022, many others like Spain won't recover until 2023. Mm -hmm. And some others like Italy even until 2024 according to last uh, GDP projections. Mm, 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 mm. Well, thank you, Ivan. I'm, I'm happy that you both provided work cases, scenarios, and also uh, possible solutions to the and, and and you gave that uh, more positive twist to the to the questions. And th thank you, thank you for your analysis, Ivan. But let me also ask you, in, in your opinion, what are the best uh, financial tools to deal with the current crisis? Thanks for your question, Pablo. Th this is an important issue. Different studies have shown that during the containment phase, temporary workflow reduction programs, such as ERTES in Spain, as well as measures to protect businesses are critical. However, during the recovery phase, the challenge is to combine these protections while also facilita facilitating resource reallocations and driving growth. So, in addition, in addition to the programs and measures that I me mentioned in my first answer, unconventional fiscal policies may have a critical role to facilitate uh, the recovery. In this sense, a program, I mean, a pre-scheduled raise in value-added added taxes, in VAT, will increase households uh, incentives to consume rather than save because of higher 
inflation expectations. However, since a higher VIT reduces household wealth, especially uh, the poorest households, whose affecting labor supply, lower income taxes should accompany the increase the increase in VAT. <coughs> in brief, the objective is to encourage people to consume immediately by advancing their purchases, especially those of durable goods such as uh, appliances, uh, bicycles, cars, etc helping the economy exit the slump. Germany designed a similar approach with a sudden but temporary VAT cut with a pre-scheduled date in which the, in which the VAT will revert, revert back to its uh, original level. Mm, 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 mm. Thank you, thank you, Ivan. Um, let me ask you a question that you have already uh, touch upon uh, a bit before uh, you have already mentioned a few countries and you have mm -hmm. already made uh, a comparison but uh, I think it's, it's worth getting a bit deeper into this so let me ask you um, which countries at the European level do you think are the most prepared and have the most solid condition and means uh, to come out of this crisis in a better position uh, and globally mm-hmm mm -hmm. Certainly, both Germany and Spain are good examples of countries that are implemented a battery of measures. According to some studies, Spain has been the country which has prevented the greatest increase in unemployment thanks to its temporary workforce reduction program called ERTE, and also measures to protect businesses, avoiding bankruptcies. Seem, eff seem effective. However, measure, measures such as the temporary VIT cut uh, of Germany that obviously create fiscal deficits are not possible to highly in-depth countries la like Spain or Italy, which accumulate debt stock or more than 115% of GDP since they did not make enough fiscal efforts to reduce their deficits after the end of the previous crisis. This puts countries like Germany in a much more fa favorable and privileged position given that they have the financial flexibility to create additional fiscal deficits to help get out of the crisis. Mm -hmm. And globally, uh, I, I was certainly uh, going to going to ask you about uh, about uh, uh, regarding Asia and in particular China, uh, Pablo. And I would like to ask you uh, why Asia in, in general and China more precisely have recovered earlier than what it could be expected from the crisis caused by the pandemic. And uh, in your opinion, what are the foreseeable expectations for the region in the mid to long term? Mm, thank you for this question, Ivan. It's truly an interesting one. Well, let me start saying that uh, the first reason 
and the clearest one in my opinion, has to do with a much more aggressive strategy in containing the spread of the virus, a strategy of uh, suppression that has managed to give extremely good results. This has been the case uh, certainly in mainland China, Taiwan, South Korea, New Zealand, or Vietnam, among others. In all those cases, the governments opted to deploy a fierce uh, system of control, information, and monetarization, along with established uh, and efficient procedures of diagnosis and isolation of uh, COVID-19 cases, tracing and isolating uh, close contact cases. All that came with uh, support measures uh, such as alternative lodging, as well as control measures such as apps, uh, computer systems, uh, tracing tags, and so on. And all that came also attached to a state-coordinated public health strategy. Uh, in this case, for, ex for instance, uh, China's uh, health response to the crisis has been based around a plethora of measures such as a, a strong control of movements within population and strict uh, lockdowns measures at, this, at district uh, or provincial level. Uh, this has allowed the authorities to limit the entry and exit of population in, in affected areas, as well as to set curfews and all uh, that with uh, accurate precision targeting communities or blocks. Measures like uh, early tracing of cases through mobile devices, as well as uh, temperature checks in uh, public spaces, prevention measures at the individual level, and free tests uh, at the large scale with a quick release of results, have been all successful measures undertaken by the country. In China, uh, the rebound of the economy, which reached 3.2% uh, of the GDP in the second quarter of uh, 2020, has been propelled by a large extent, uh, by a credit full investment in infrastructure and real estate, which has added weight to China's high debt burden. Domestic consumption, nonetheless, has not reached the desired levels yet, and as a result, retail sales have been uh, falling since the outbreak. China has been uh, has deployed an array of measures that go from task uh, cuts to employment subsidies, so to help businesses. As uh, you know, a persistent problem, nonetheless, has had to do with the migrant population in China's main cities. These migrant workers, often with a precarious job. Uh, were the first to lose their jobs and were not able to access uh, subsidies that were only accessible to the locals. That contributed to widen uh, the wealth gap in the country. However, it is also true that as the situation has been normalizing in the country, those migrant workers have been able to gradually come back to the cities and where they work and, and resume their work. Domestic consumption and economic recovery in general have uh, taken off more clearly among the middle and upper class. We need to, to point that out. And on the other hand, China's central bank, uh, the People's Bank of China, has poured liquidity into the economy, deploying a network of subsidies to help small and medium enterprises. In general, we can say that although the Chinese economy had a very rough year for most of 2020, as it is normal and to be expected, the impact uh, was much lesser than that of other economies. And the Chinese economy is currently in the right path uh, to recovery. 
And this has been the case with most economies in the regions, uh, to, in the region, to be honest, Ivan. A key factor that we have seen throughout the crisis, and not entirely exclusive to China, is that the government has put an increased focus in the domestic market and the technological developments made uh, within the country, so to reduce the country's dependency on, on international markets and, and foreign technology. This is very much linked to a trend that we are currently seeing develop not only in the region, but you know, at global scale, and that favors protectionism and autarky over previous reliance on a globalized uh, economy. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a bit of an overview of the current situation, in my opinion, Ivan. Well, uh, that's uh, a complex uh, co- cocktail, at least, uh, uh, things. And uh, uh, for sure, politicians should have taken uh, your examples into mm-hmm. consideration. Mm-hmm. I, I w- that uh, uh, leads to ask you, uh, what, do you uh, what do you think, uh, which, are, which are the strengths and weaknesses of, of these markets? And how can they become uh, drivers or stoppers of progress? Well, um, to answer this question, I think we first need to point out the differences between the economies of the region. Between developed economies such as the Japanese or the South Korean, emerging economies such as the Chinese, and developing economies such as the Burmese, for instance. In the first two cases, the economies of these countries are solid enough and well endowed so that their governments can put in place an array of measures to curb the crisis and spur economic recovery. Nonetheless, certain countries in the region, that that is to say uh, the developing countries, uh, do not possess the same economic means to tackle the whole chain of impacts unleashed by the crisis in the same manner as other uh, more developed in the region. You know, means such as uh, a network of subsidies, investment, and, and a robust healthcare system. You know, countries like Thailand, which are strongly uh, dependent on tourism, have been more severe, severely affected by the by the economic impacts of the COVID-19 crisis. However, the fact that even these countries, uh, you know, the case of Thailand, for example, have been able to tackle efficiently the spread of the virus explains why the outlook for an economic rebound in the region is generally more positive, especially when compared to, to other regions. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Pablo. I would like to change a little to political issues. Uh, and, and what do you think it's going to change in China taking into account the election of Joe, Joe Biden as the new president of the, of the United States? commercially speaking? Well, this is a very, very, very relevant question, Ivan, a very, very interesting one. I'm, I'm very grateful uh, for you to ask me this question. I think it's, uh, it's worth uh, delving into this. Well, I have to say that although it is true that the relationship is not going to be as markedly hostile as it was during the Trump era, the differences mm-hmm. are not going to be radical at the structural level. You know, certain trends that began with the trade war are here to stay, such as tariffs and so on. The relationship between the U.S. and China will still face many challenges that are rooted in geopolitical and economic issues. The main difference is that Biden will try to woo and bring together many countries that have traditionally been in the U.S.'s uh, zone of influence, such as most European countries, Japan, South Korea or the Philippines, and will try to promote among all 
a common stance against China, whereas Trump antagonized both strategic rivals as well as long-standing allies, for instance, instigating trade wars with Europe, criticizing countries in Europe for not paying their dues to NATO and so on, Biden, on the contrary, will try to bring all alliances anew. This could mean that the situation could potentially, potentially be worse for China under Biden than uh, under Trump. This explains why China was, for instance, uh, quick to try to finalize the comprehensive agreement on investment uh, at, the, at the end of 2020 with the European Union, uh, after many years of uh, fruitless negotiations. In, by the way, this, this agreement still has a, a long and rough way ahead, uh, but we seem to be way closer to an ending than you know in the past. But, and, and again, this has to do with China needing to score a win with the European Union. So to try to keep European investment flowing into the country, as well as the trade relationship uh, between, the, between China and, and the EU. Especially uh, before a new US administration, which, by the way, does not like this agreement, um, might have tried to push uh, European countries farther away from China, making this agreement uh, more unlikely. And uh, you know, making the the strengthening of relationship between the the EU and and, and China a bit more unlikely. And nonetheless, the general trend, uh, as I said before, is that of decoupling, which means basically trying to develop technology at the domestic level and to depend less of external markets. We are seeing that this is a general trend that is happening yeah. at the global level. And yes, it's not yes. only the case of China. I, I absolutely agree. We we could have another examples like uh, like Russia or many many other countries are, mm -hmm. are doing the same. Indeed. Um, coming back to the um, uh, to the co uh, COVID crisis itself, how is China dealing with the vaccine distribution? Of what specific measures? has the country taken uh, taken to ensure that the rebound of the economy does not uh, take a hold? Well, Ivan, this, this is a very, also a very important question. And I have to say China is developing at least uh, five vaccines by four different producers. These vaccines, uh, which have uh, progressed in their development quite fast, are based in traditional methods of manufacturing, such as inoculating a weakened virus into the body. This provides uh, certain benefits uh, to the Chinese vaccine over others, such as you know, being able to be stored in normal refrigerators, which makes their distribution easier. Unlike other vaccines, uh, such as the one manufactured by Pfizer, that need to be stored at very low temperature, um, minus 70 degrees in the case of, uh, of the Pfizer one. At the moment, the four producers of uh, vaccine in China are uh, the following. Uh, uh, Sinovac with his vaccine, uh, Coronavac. Uh, Sinopharm with uh, two vaccines. Mm -hmm. CanSino Biologics uh, with one. And uh, Anhui Chifei Long Kong uh, Biopharmaceutical with another one. Vaccination in China took place first among the military personnel in a trial basis, and then was uh, distributed to health professionals 
as well as uh, those in uh, working in professions that put them at a higher risk of contracting the virus. Uh, China has declared that once the vaccine program is completed in the country, it will help uh, distribute vaccines in third countries, such as African countries, where China already has a strong uh, presence and influence. Um, China has made the same commitment for neighboring countries in Southeast Asia, such as Cambodia, Myanmar, Laos, Thailand, or Vietnam. Uh, but the uh, Chinese vaccine could reach even farther uh, from Malaysia to Afghanistan or even countries in Latin America. This could spark a vaccine diplomacy and give uh, further leverage to China, which has already declared these efforts to be part of their health silk road strategy, which can be framed within China's pursuit of global health leadership in you know, the times of the pandemic. With regards to the second part of your question, which revolves around China's measures to ensure uh, the rebound of the economy, we can point out, uh, as I mentioned before, the efforts undertaken by China's central bank in injecting liquidity to support and stimulate the economy. On the other hand, the government has pursued investment in infrastructure and deployed subsidies to, the, to further help the, the economy to recover. At the SME level, uh, the government has sought uh, to support these companies through measures uh, such as defer tax payment, reducing rent, waiving of administrative fees, uh, subsidizing uh, research and development uh, costs, uh, social insurance subsidies, subsidies for training and purchasing teleworking services, and lowering lending rates. Uh, furthermore, banks are being granted extra funding to spur SME loans. At the same time, the government has put in place an array of measures to incentivize job retention and to prevent job losses. Even though here in China, the country has not uh, yet recovered from all the impacts co caused by the crisis, which is uh, something to be expected, but the situation is far more positive than that of other countries. And we see the economies on, on an upward trend and domestic consumption seems to have resumed, especially among certain social strata. Mm -hmm. um, so I Thank think you, that's, yeah, that's my analysis for, 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 for the current situation. And I hope uh -huh. answers uh, your questions uh, yeah, uh, well. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, a, a pretty good analysis, and I also uh, proud to, to uh, surprised uh, to know that happy to know that the China is also contributing uh, in terms of uh, solidarity mm -hmm. uh, by providing vaccines to other uh, developing uh, countries. Mm -hmm. uh, my last question will be. What do you think uh, the behavior of both the banking industry and the stock market is going to be in the post-COVID-19 period in Asia? Well, uh, Ivan, you know, I get the feeling that uh, what COVID has mainly done in this end is to accelerate previous trends. At the banking level, uh, China China's conti continues to be, you know, China continues to be a leader in e-commerce, digital payments, and digital banking. Uh, since the outbreak of the pandemic, the banking industry in mainland China has increased to a great extent his focus and efforts into digital transformation. Banks are aware of the importance of taking serious steps in this direction, so to remain competitive and maintain their market share. 
those banks that invested more heavily in technology and digitalization in the previous year are starting to emerge as the winners as they suffer a lesser impact during the outbreak and uh, found themselves uh, better positioned to serve their clients through uh, digital channels. In general, these banks uh, find themselves uh, better positioned to improve their clients' access and experience. Furthermore, uh, many banks are starting to rely more heavily on fintech and emerging technologies such as AI, data, cloud, and blockchain to transform their operating model, increasing their efficiency and productivity in the process. Banks have allotted uh, a bigger additional budget for the pursuit uh, of for the pursuit of uh, digitalization and technological innovation in the years to come. The government, on the other hand, is working hard to promote uh, the digital economy. China is already a cashless economy, as most payments are done through mobile devices and e-payment platforms such as WeChat Pay and Alipay. And more strikingly, as of recent, the People's Bank of China has set in motion a crucial pilot his own digital currency, the so-called China Central Bank digital currency, which could be uh, the first in the world. Uh, when it comes to the stock market, Iban, uh, they, uh, you know, the Asian stock market has been a clear winner due to the general success in the region in containing the virus, which has given a lot of confidence to the stock, uh, to the stock markets uh, of the region. Uh, furthermore, it has been uh, foreseen that 2021 will probably be a good year for the stock markets here, as the economy, as the economies here experience a recovery and are endowed with an excess in liquidity that can lead to uh, higher corporate earnings. Mm, mm-hmm. That's certain. Yeah, that's that seems to be the case, Ivan. Thanks, thanks for your analysis, um, and I, I, it's been a pleasure sharing thoughts uh, with you, uh, and I think it's a, a really interesting topic. And a pleasure to be here with you. Thank, thank you to everybody for listening to us, and we hope that we are able to do this soon again. Uh, thank yes, you, Ivan. Thank I you agree. to everybody. Thank bye-bye. Bye.